I always have an interesting relationship with this Sunday. Uh, by, by default, I'll just admit, I'm not much of a traditionalist. Like, I used to have this thing, like, I don't want to just do a Christmas service just because it's Christmas, Lord. Like, I want your glory. <laughs> you know? and, uh, but I've learned there's value, you know, in, like, celebration. And then it's not just like a thing that we do because we're supposed to do it. But that God's a God of celebration, and there's something powerful that happens in heaven when we remember and we celebrate what God's done. And that's really what I want to do tonight. You know, it's, there's testimonies of what Jesus has done here, but before we even kind of start, it's like I just, if I had a crown, I just want to take it off and put it at the feet of Jesus and, and just say, Jesus, you're worthy. Like, Jesus is so worthy. And really, this is all about Jesus. I love honoring people. I love recognizing the story of what God's doing in this community. But before it was about any person, it was about him. He is the alpha and he's the omega. And that's, that's really what I want us to get tonight and capture. And I think it's important that we capture that this is a story of God that he's sweeping us into. And uh, yeah, so Jesus, we just do. We take off our crowns and we just put them at your feet and we say thank you. I don't have words, Lord. We don't have words. But we give you all the glory for every good thing that has happened here. It all started in you. This is all from your heart. And we thank you for using us in little ways here and there. But from you are all things, and for you are all things, and you deserve the glory. So just, just tell Jesus, you just glorify him for his goodness here at Riverhouse Church. <laughs> it's all for you, God. It's just, it just is. You're so worthy. You're so worthy. And we worship you for the greatness of who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'll tell you a little bit of the story, because I know there's a lot of new people here, huh? Who's been here less than two years? Yeah. Who's been here five years? Man, that's a long time. Who's been here three years? I'm not going to do it all. <laughs> We've been here different amounts of time. It's one of the hard things of a church when it grows. It starts so little, and it grows. But I'll tell you a little bit of the story. And then, I don't know, I just have this thing. This is, this is the verse that's on my heart. 
This is 2 Corinthians 11. Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. He says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ Jesus. And that's the word that's just been ringing in my ears, the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ Jesus. So I'm going to tell a little bit of the story, and I want to end there tonight, at the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ Jesus. Is that okay? So we started this church, uh, a little, little seed promise. You know, God spoke. I don't even know exactly when. It was a knowing over a number of years, and then uh, in 2016, uh, God spoke, and he said, it's time. Uh, you can start. And I was like, okay. Um, at this point, you know, my mom lived in a different state. My family, Riley, was in a different state. I, I had, was leaving another ministry and we had no money, none. Our first budget that the board approved was a $2,000 a month operating budget. And that was in faith. <laughs> I was the first employee making $500 a month. That was after six months of making nothing. And I remember when I took the approved budget to the lawyer to get the 501c3 approved, he looked at me and said, well, I guess this isn't your get rich scheme. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's probably one way of putting it. I moved into the North End. John and I moved into this little house. Riley and Sammy just got married, and they lived in the basement of this little house. So the four of us lived in this little house, and only uh, one of them, uh, two of them were married, and that was hard for John and I. Um, we were about as lonely as the day was long, and uh, <laughs> humble beginnings. And I remember our landlord said, what are you moving down to Boise for? And we said, we're going to start a church. He said, you'd probably have a better chance starting a church in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this place is barren and dead and da 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 da. I was like, well, I, we're either in the right place or we're in the wrong place, but I guess we'll find out soon. And uh, we just started this thing, little 10 person prayer meeting. We didn't even have a house to meet in because either people were living with their parents or lived in a little tiny house. My mom was living in a basement of someone she didn't know's house, <laughs> and they had a backyard. We asked if we could use that for a while, like literally. We didn't even have a, a house to meet in, like that's lame. And, uh, uh, and, and all of this, it was vulnerable, like it's funny now, it was vulnerable. I literally was like, okay, Lord, how am I gonna pay my rent and my bills? Like they're not a lot, I can probably eat top ramen, but I still like, it still costs something. And uh, I was like, well, maybe I'll get a job at like the pizza delivery something so I could at least pray for the neighborhoods. You know, so I'm dropping off pizzas. Like I didn't know, it was really scary. And I wasn't that young, I was 25. And I, I'd like to say I'm somewhat smart. So I was like, Lord, I could have a job that makes money, but he just said, here, that's what I want you to do. And uh, I met with this guy, he's a really wealthy uh, businessman, he's a kingdom guy, but I don't think this was a kingdom moment. And we had this conversation, he said, look, he said, look you're, you're crazy. He's like, how old are you? I was like, 25. He's like, you're crazy if you think that you're going to attract older people to this church because you're young and 
you're only going to get millennials and millennials don't pay tithes and they don't have any money. You're never going to, this isn't going to work. He's like, this is a terrible model. He's like, you need to meet with these eight people. I'll set up these meetings. You need to raise at least a few hundred grand. Like if you want any hope of this thing. And it just felt so heavy. And I literally was like, okay, he said he'll meet up, set up these meetings with these people. And like, that's cool. But like, it just felt heavy. And in all of this, it was like so vulnerable, like nothing, nothing on the outside was like, yeah, that's destined to succeed, you know? And uh, God spoke to me and he said, Jordan, he said, you can, you can do this uh, one of two ways. I said, okay. And he said, the first way is you can try to figure out everything you need to do and strive endlessly to do it and check every box and do this and do that and do that. And he's like, and you're going to work yourself into a stupor and it's not going to work. And he said, or you can listen to my voice and you can obey me. And then he said, uh, through the words of a Leonard Ravenhill that I was kind of meditating at the time, that you don't have to advertise a fire. If the glory of God will fill a temple, people will come from hundreds of miles and they'll watch it burn. You don't need to put it in the newspapers. You don't need to advertise. Just steward his presence. And so I remember at one point I told the, like, the original 10 people, I said, well, this is either going to fail and it's going to fail quickly and then I'll go get a real job. <laughs> or, uh, or God's going to show up with his glory. And God did. And on our one-year birthday service, there were some girls that came. I don't know if you still watch, but they would watch our live stream. I didn't know this at the time, but they showed up in, um, at our service on the one-year anniversary, and they were from Virginia. They came from Virginia to be at our birthday service. And the Lord just reminded me hundreds of miles to watch it burn. And I was like, wow, like that's literal. It's real. And uh, we, we went on a, a really beautiful journey. That first year was a lot of like beginnings. And we were in the dance studio. It's not a dance studio anymore, but it's down on Main Street in downtown. It had mirrors on three sides of the walls. So I could see about my pre myself preaching like 18 different angles. <laughs> I was like, can we get some rags over this? Like anything, please. I don't like preaching to me, you know? It's too convicting. Uh, that's, when I, that's when I realized I was a good preacher, though. No, I'm just joking. Um, we were there, and it was really hot, and you couldn't open the door because the noise was too loud, and so we just melted in there. It was like the Philippines. Um, and then we went to the, the Hill City campus, and we were there for a, number, uh, a couple years, two years, I think, maybe, maybe three, three years. And, uh, you know, so that first year was, was growth and kind of beginnings and starting to build our culture. And it's really vulnerable when you're, you know, there's churches that get transplanted. So they come from kind of like an alpha church and they have a lot of DNA woven into them. Like they've, they've cultivated a lot of culture. We started with nothing but a little promise. That was like a little seed that's vulnerable and fragile. And it just started growing. And it's like, as it's growing, we're figuring out what it is that's growing. And so it's just this beautifully immature process. And God favored us and people started coming. And uh, thank God our budget got a little bit bigger uh, for all of our sakes uh, on staff. And that was funnier than you laughed, but <laughs> you haven't been in those shoes before, I guess. So uh, and I, the, about year one, 
uh, after year one, a shift kind of started happening and God started calling people into the church, calling leaders, uh, people that were leaders in other movements, leaders in other places. I think what kind of exemplifies this, if uh, Jamie Stiefel, who was pastor on staff for a number of years, just until this last year, God's now called him back in the marketplace. Are you here, Jamie? Where? Oh, I love you, Jamie. There he is. I'll just tell this story, kind of, I think it's like exemplifies it, but he was pastoring at a church in a big church in another state that his, I think his children's ministry had what, 500 kids in it, maybe more. And our church was like 80 people at the time. And somebody gave me his number and said, Hey, you should call this guy. He's on church. He's on staff of this, this big church in Arizona. And you know, he, he, uh, he may be interested in coming to Boise. And I didn't call for like two or three weeks because I was insecure because I knew that the only thing that we had to offer was a part-time $20,000 part-time salary to be our children's director. And I'm like, he's got more, five times more kids in his children's ministry than we have in our entire church, adults and kids combined. And for like multiple weeks, I was just insecure because I'm like, Lord, this is going to be like the most uncomfortable conversation of my entire life. And uh, I was on a fast at the time. And the Lord spoke to me and said, you need to call tomorrow. And I was like, fine, I will be a fool for the gospel, you know? And I call and I call and talk to Jamie and he starts like giving me his rundown of like, you know, his like resume and stuff and was like, yeah, and this is why, you know, I, I, we feel called to serve your vision and da, 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 da. And I was like, hold up, do you know how big a church we are? And he's like, you know, no, we had these dreams and God's been speaking and we've been fasting with your church and God's moving on our hearts and I don't care what you have to pay me. God said, I'm not going to get a natural promotion. It's a spiritual promotion. And I'm not kidding you. Like that was the first moment I've told him this before, but that was the first moment I truly believed that God was in this thing. I was like, wait, you're going to leave and move with your family of four to take a $20,000 salary to work for an 85 person church in a city that you've never been to and you've never met me face to face that's true that happened and that just exemplifies God started bringing people like Jamie and Kim and yeah it was awesome it was awesome and then and, and others and many others and you know I, I could go through all the list of uh, the people that were either on staff or came and started leading and serving that literally poured their lives into this vision for like nothing for nothing. I mean, especially the first probably three years, at least the first two, like the staff was making nothing, you know, and I just, Susanna, Jordan, Robin, Jamie, I think those were the five amigos that were all poor together. Uh, but we believed, we believed, and it wasn't about the money. Never has been and never will be. It was just like, kind of like funny at the same time. It's like, all right, we're going this thing. Anyways, God started bringing people, you know who you are, uh, leaders, people with history with God, people that were uh, just kind of sovereignly pulled in. And, and honestly, years two and three were kind of like this in-gathering of people. And it was amazing. And God was growing and it was favored. And and then, uh, you know, we started doing these conferences. And in the midst of all these years, we started Riverhouse Global. For those of you that don't know, we have an entire ministry uh, in, in the... In, um, 
why am I blanking? Southeast Asia. I can't say the names for the sake of things, but Southeast Asia and connected us with pastors. We started doing meetings, pastor conferences. We have a whole network of pastors that we're sewing into still to this day. It's amazing what happens over there. This is flourishing. We're doing these conferences, Arise Conference, Now Gathering. All these things are taking place, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And then we get to three services, and it's like, wow, this is too much work. We're dying. And uh, God opens the door with Vineyard. We get to Vineyard, and it's like, we're going to keep on just trying at marching and then COVID happens, dun, 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 you know, and boom, God takes the scissors out and this fruitful, fruitful branch that we have no idea what we're doing, but we're watching all this fruit come. All of a sudden, God comes with scissors and just starts snipping things left and right. Oh my gosh. It was so terrible. It was like the worst thing ever to pastor a church through. You're like, this is incredible. You know, and it's like, you know, when you, you ever watch someone prune a rose bush? It goes from like, that is amazing to like, is that a weed that needs to be ripped from the ground? That's what I felt like happened. And it's funny in a way, but it was painful. Painful. There's been some hard, messy situations, conflict, tension, and Jesus just starts snipping, 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 snipping. And in that time, honestly, the last, you know, and that, that was year four and now year five. And, uh, you know, and, and in that time, it's not like we were, you know, just stagnant. God started speaking. We started seeing, um, growing out of the church, but it was just pruning. Like, I think the last couple of years have just been this pruning thing that kind of gets us to where we are now. And this is, I feel like, this is such a gross under expression of the, the story of this church. There's so much. I could probably talk to you for an hour and a half if you want to hear it sometime. If enough of you ask me, we'll do a podcast or something. Uh, but this story is beautiful, and there's so much heart and sacrifice and love and humility and servanthood and, and, and God moments where God has just come and shaped us and journey to wholeness. Like, my gosh, who's been through journey to wholeness? You know, Journey to Wholeness started catalyzing things in our culture and then revival groups and leaders giving their homes and their lives to create spaces where people are getting connection and breaking free and testimonies and expressing spiritual gifts. And it's like you can go on and on. There's been like so many things that have happened. And it's like Sundays have been powerful, revival groups, Journey to Wholeness, the youth ministries, the children's ministries. It's like we've just been like this little seedling and we just kept like, okay, we're going to pour water and pour water and pour water and pour water. And then all this started happening. It was like, oh my gosh, is this all going away? Is this even good? Is anybody like, what is happening? And then we emerged. And honestly, I think, and I don't know what your guys' estimation is, but the last, the last two months, it's different than anything I've experienced. And I know it's just, I, this is, this is my belief that we're seeing the kindlings of the fire that's going to come. That we're seeing those little, you know, and you start putting a little, little kindling, a little stick, little, little newspaper to just kind of get the flame going. God's kind of doing the flint and stone thing and just sparking some fires in our midst. And it's, it's different than I've ever experienced. And I don't think that we get here where we are without where we've been. And I think where we've been is important because it's been a lot. It's a lot of love and a lot of labor and a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of learning. But I, I really kind of want to talk about, and this, this is what I think the Lord wants me to share tonight. It's, I, I never really come polished on a birthday service because this isn't like some sort of a 
formal celebration. This is like a time to reflect on what God is doing in us and through us, so that God's writing a story here. And in this pruning, I think I've learned some things. I think we've, we've all learned some things, and it's been hard because a lot of people have left the church. Just being honest, I think most of us know that. Not all new people have come to the church. There's a lot of change. And in that time, a lot of discouragement for me personally. Uh, I've talked to many that, you know, uh, were dealing with it in your own way. Loneliness, discouragement, all these things. And you can almost start veering on this road of like, what exactly is the church, Lord? Like, this is messy. And one of the things that got disillusioned in me, and this is just being really full disclosure, and I'm just following what I feel the Lord wants me to share, is that I got disillusioned between the difference between a healthy church and a perfect church. Because this is what deep down I believed. I know that there's unhealthy churches. I don't say that with any judgment. Uh, I just, I've seen the wounds of people that are in environments, you know, kind of like what Tatum was saying, you can't ask some questions, you can't go certain places, and there's a lot of judgment and fear, and um, I think Jesus is wanting to heal us as a country, so that that's not the case, but the reality is that we're in a process, and, you know, but I, what I believed was if, if we can really do it the right way, like if we can really humble ourselves, if we can really lead with a pure heart, if I can, God, and if the staff and the leaders, and if we can really build this culture where there's health in the church, then that will like make us a perfect church, and we will have to avoid all the messy, messy situations that we all hear about and know about. I believed that. I don't think I would have known I believed that, but the COVID, the pruning of all of this, you know, and the crisis of this country and everything, it was like, this is crazy. And I'm like, oh my gosh, church is messy. And like our church is messy and there's conflict and there's hurts and there's stories that aren't going the way that I thought they were supposed to go. And I'm getting disillusioned by like, Lord, this is really messy. Are we sure? Like, you know, cause when you kind of plant the church and it grows and it's everything's getting better and God's moving, you kind of get this triumphalistic, like, yes, earnest manifesto, like God is, God is building the church, river house is growing, and it's like, this is one of those God stories, you know, da 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 and you can kind of like see, and then all of a sudden the pruning happens, and it's like, whoa, people are leaving, people aren't liking this, ah, you start being like, what is the true story, do you know, does that make sense, you're like, oh my gosh, this is kind of rewiring my brain, I'm like, this is messy, this isn't perfect, I don't have perfect answers, I don't see a perfect story, even like this birthday service is different for me than two years ago, because it's like, I'm standing up here like, yeah, there's a whole story, and there's beautiful things and God's done amazing things. And then there's hard things and there's been messy things and there's been pain and there's been disappointment and there's things that haven't gone the way that I thought they would. And there's been things that just, I didn't like. And it's been like, Whoa, what do I do with all that? I thought if you humbled yourself and you lived and you had a pure heart that it would mean that there's just like perfect purity in the church. <laughs> it's just not true. <laughs> A perfect church is a myth. It's idolatry. A perfect church is the church making the church the point of the church. And this is what I think. This is, this is what I feel. This is, this is where I want to get to. Simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus. This is the pruning. I think the church works best when the church recognizes it's not about the church. And this is, this is just honest, as a shepherd in this house, as the leader, as the one before God that's the most responsible for all the messes here, which I don't take lightly. It's hard. 
I go right before his face. So you've put this community in my stewardship. I see the mess. It's not perfect here. And at the same time, I learned that that's okay. Because the point of the church is that it's not about the church. It's about Jesus. And this is what I mean by that. If we look at Israel, Israel was God's chosen people, right? They were favored. They were blessed. They were given the prophets and the scriptures and the whole story, or the whole Old Testament. They were the favored people of God. Without doubt, they were chosen by God. But the point of Israel is that God chose them not because of how great they were, but because they were to be a spectacle that it's like, wow, you're the most incapable people. You were 100 years old. You couldn't even have a child. It's like God chose them to be the jar of clay that could so reveal his glory. Like it, it, God chose Israel to be this spectacle that it's not about Israel. It actually is about Jesus. It's about God. And where we see it go really wrong in Israel's story is when Israel made it about Israel. And when Israel makes it just about Israel, they became exactly what they were without God, which is one hot mess. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I mean, just read it. It is a mess. It is an absolute mess. And it's like when they took their eyes off of God and broke covenant and made it about them and our nation and our whatever, it just became an absolute mess. But because the, the story of Israel is Israel is supposed to humble themselves, worship the Lord God there alone. And then God would use this humble people to be a spectacle of his glory. But when Israel made it about Israel, they missed all that. And I think in the same way, the church has done the same thing. The church is God's chosen people to be the ones that reveal the kingdom to the world. But when the church takes their eyes off of Jesus and makes it about the church, we get hung up on all the stuff that is wrong with the church. And let me tell you, if you're looking for something to be wrong with the church, <laughs> you will find it really quickly. <laughs> like if you are looking for something to be wrong here, you will find it. If you want to know like a list of 12 things, just meet with me. I'll tell you. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, it is so gloriously beautiful here but it is so tragically painfully messy at the same time and if you find yourself in a mess welcome home <laughs> like that we're a community of, of wounded healers we're a hospital for the sick and the army barracks for the army of God to emerge. Like we're, we have this, this, mixed, this mixed identity as the church and it's all beautiful, but we're messy. And I think that the pruning, at least in my own heart, has it pruned away things in me and it, and it, and it honestly was convicting. It showed how easy it is to make even the church an idol before Jesus. And Jesus cut away the church. Cut away services. Cut away all the things. But we never lost Jesus. But if you would have asked a lot of Christians, it was like we kind of thought we were. But I think what, what God's been teaching us is that the church is not Jesus. The church is not the kingdom. 
The church is not salvation. The church will never meet all the needs of the people. Like, it's actually a scary statement for me to say that River House is a healthy family. <laughs> because that's not in us. Like, it's not in the church. What we need isn't in the church. It's in Him. And this sounds so nuanced, and it is in a way, but it's not at all at the same time. Like, it's Jesus. And when the church takes her eyes off the church and puts her eyes on Jesus, that's when we get the kingdom. That's when we get the inheritance. Belonging. In the church, if we look to the church to make me feel that I belong, it's not going to work. Because what the church ends up becoming is kind of the same broken social club of the world. There's the pastors, and then there's the next leaders, and then there's the, and it's kind of like this pyramid scheme. And just to be like honest, I've been like, okay, I'm hearing these words in the church of people feeling like outsiders and they don't belong. And I've been like beating my head, like, Lord, how do you do this? How do you solve the problem? And it's like, the answer's not in the church. The answer is we have to get our eyes off of the church and get our eyes on Jesus. And if we'll get our eyes on Jesus, Jesus will bring the kingdom. And in the kingdom, which is a different reality than light, than, than earth, everybody belongs. Now, how does that work? I don't know because it's supernatural. But this is the pruning. I'm telling you, like, follow me. I'm afraid that as Eve was deceived away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ, that that will happen to you, Corinthians. Like, that's the fear of the Lord that I have. It's like, God, don't let us lose just the simplicity of devotion, that it's all about Jesus, and Jesus is what we're longing for. And as soon as we take, it's like, it's like we look to the church, because it's like almost the American gospel has preached to us Jesus Christ, the church of the world. <laughs> like, it's like we almost think Jesus is the church. <laughs> He's not. He's not even close to the church. Like Jesus is very different than the church. And it's like as soon as we differentiate that, we're like, wow, Jesus is what I'm longing for. It allows me to actually find fulfillment in the church. Because, you know, it's, it, you could say the same thing about marriage. I think Francis Chan, Jackie and I have been reading this marriage book by Francis Chan. He's like, the key to a fulfilling marriage is to recognizing that your fulfillment doesn't come in marriage. <laughs> it's like you take your eyes off your marriage and you put your eyes on Jesus and Jesus knows how to make the marriage work. The key to the church functioning successfully is that you just kind of take your eyes off of the church and you put them on Jesus. And then Jesus is like, the church is my idea. Why am I saying all this on a birthday service? This, because this really is good news. Is, I have people ask me, people ask me tonight, people ask me sometimes, like, what's the vision? What's the vision for the next five years? I'm sure I could get up here and I could tell you the whole earthly story of, like, this is the fruit that I think is going to happen. This is how I think God's going to manifest. Like, I could tell you some of those things. They may be true. They may be right. They, they, whatever. But, like, that's, that's really not what I see in my spirit when I say, what's the future? What's the next five years? This is what I believe the next five years are. It's more of Jesus. 
Come on. <laughs> it's, it's us embodying in maturity the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. And if we'll stay right there, like if we will be a branch that focuses on the vine, the fruitfulness will follow our lives behind. But I believe sometimes God withholds fruitfulness because if we're focused on the fruitfulness, we, we, we will actually lose Jesus and all the fruitfulness. And I think that's sometimes what happens. And that's like the fear of the Lord. That's why I'm speaking this on a birthday service is it's about Jesus, you guys. And I believe Jesus is going to do more than what we could ask or imagine. But none of those things are greater than him. No miracle, no ministry, no open door, no, no, like the, it's Jesus. And if we can just, this is what's happened in my life. This is, this is the pruning for me the last year and a half. It was just prune anything away and just come right to Jesus. And this is what I found. I love you more than I ever have. I watch these slides and I just get filled with love. I love this church more deeply than I ever have. I've, I've always had love, but it's like God has broken thresholds inside of me. Because it's like, as I've just taken my eyes off, it's like, it's not my job to fix all the messes. It's not my job to prove that this is a healthy church. It's not my job to, to win back people's broken conceptions of the church in this country. It's not my job. My job, Jesus, it's you. It's like, I find it's like, as I gaze at him, he just consumes me with love for you. <laughs> Even like he just consumes me with love for the church. And it's like, wow, God. And this is the first time I can honestly confess in front of you. I said, God, and this is true. This is like a true confession. This is incarnational in me. Is I'm like, I love Riverhouse for who she is. Not just for who I think she might be one day. And it was like, God, and I will love her if she never changes. She never grows. She never matures. She never gets more holy. If these messes don't ever go away, I will love her. Because it's not about her, it's about you. And I think something happens when we just get our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> oh, it's something happens. Something powerful happens. Something profound happens. So where I want to call you as a church on our birthday is right back to Jesus. <laughs> Like, he's the vine of heaven, man. Doesn't, doesn't that just feel right? Doesn't that feel better than a church manifesto? Than a new building project? If you put the slide on the screen, I'm just joking. <laughs> it's Jesus. And, and, and God willing, he's going to give us our own home one day. God willing, he's going to grow prayer ministry. God willing, we're going to see marriages radically healed again and again and again. God willing, we're going to see miracles of all kinds. God willing, people are going to get sent out and be ambassadors of the kingdom. God willing, we're going to see a city transformed. God willing, we'll see more fruit than what we could imagine. 
But even when that comes, what I want to disciple this community into is that we will have eyes fixed on Jesus. Hallelujah. So this is how we're going to close. We're just going to worship Jesus. <laughs> we're not going to pray over you. We're just going to worship Jesus. And I'm just going to call you to Jesus. So I just want you to stand on your feet. And we are just going to worship Jesus. And I want us to do this as a prophetic declaration that it was Jesus, it is Jesus, and it will always be Jesus. And that the story of this community is that a people got wrapped up in the heart of Jesus and the world began to testify of what that did. You know, like, like the, we just got entwined into this passionate, beautiful heart of this man named Jesus who gave his life on a cross, was raised three days later, and invited people to live in the kingdom of God with him. Amen? Amen. So may just close your eyes, put your hand on your heart. I pray tonight, Father, in the name of Jesus, by your spirit, that you will consecrate us, that you will set us apart to be a, a church, God, to be a community in this proud nation that looks not to ourselves, but looks to Jesus. May Jesus be first, may Jesus be last, may Jesus be beginning, may Jesus be end. It's all about you, Jesus. Mark us, God, mark us. Keep us close to the root. Keep us close to the vine. Let our eyes become fixed on you. And we just give you permission, Jesus, to keep leading us further and deeper into your heart and into the reality of the kingdom of God. And I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. We're gonna worship, and then we want you to stick around tonight. We have all types of food and partying. We wanna have real fellowship, but the best fellowship starts with the fellowship of his heart, and then we get to fellowship together after, hallelujah. So let's worship Jesus and let's have a party.